Hello, and welcome to the OT Podcast Club podcast. For this episode, we listened to the OT Roundtable episode, Who is the Imposter? These are edited highlights of the conversation we had inspired by the topic of imposter syndrome. So, let's just start talking. (laughs) What did people like about it the most? Who wants to start? (laughs) (laughs) Just made it feel more normal, I suppose. I think it's probably something everybody does feel at some point, to a lesser or greater degree. So actually hearing other people talk about it, and especially people that are quite well established, then you think, oh, okay, it's not just me. Yeah, I agree, Angie, because I was thinking you guys that were up that did the podcast like you all seem like major confident and like have everything together but to know like like you just think exactly the same as everyone else it it makes you feel like yeah I can do it it's just a natural feeling what everybody has I think that normalizing of it was a big feature of it for me that acknowledgement of it and the narratives of why it happens, where it happens, what you do with it, how it makes you feel, all of those aspects. And I think moving on from that is actually embracing it and then using it to your advantage, isn't it? And actually being able to label something and then working towards doing something different. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think definitely once, it's like I think they were saying in it, once you've identified what it is and you understand it a bit more, then you can kind of work with it and think, all right, it feels uncomfortable but actually I'm going to get through to the other side of this and then I'm going to be more knowledgeable and better at what I do. And, you know, so just go with it for a bit and uh, things will improve. Yeah. That was one of the statements I wrote out. But there was something Brock said about sitting with the uncomfortable long enough and that was like, okay, I'm going to write that bit down. I thought that was a very cool Yeah, yeah definitely. It talked about um, that being the way to build resilience, which I thought, adding to what you've just said, Ruth, was like really insightful. It was quite interesting to see it broken down into the different elements as well. I think it said that, I also made notes, I think it said the fear of success, procrastination, holding back, and then like that diligence and hard work. So for me, I found it quite interesting because there are some of those that I would probably identify with a lot more than others. So I wouldn't necessarily say that all of the elements I see in myself, but I could definitely see some of them. I think it's a lot to do with like comparing yourself to others as Mm. well. Like that whole success failure thing is Mm. huge. Like, and especially where you just assume that someone might have more experience if they're older or they just have more life experience or something like you continually just make assumptions in the back of your head even though they're probably feeling the exact same way it's just funny that these there's such like internal thoughts that actually like it's good to externalize them I thought it was really interesting that there was a scale on it because there's not much of a scale for like other things that might be going on inside your head if you know what I mean like it's really difficult to point down and put a number almost on a lot of the internal processes ah see I think that's quite interesting I I loved lots about it and I did the scale but I'm not I'm not that comfortable with some of the I kind of see it as a little bit labelly and a little bit pathologizing to take what I think is a normal human response to what's going on in our world and call it a syndrome 
I had a few issues um, with that in honesty. I was, so I can see why, like perhaps we don't always want to put a name or a number or a label onto it, but equally then there's that whole benefit of doing that, that it helps with awareness and externalizing that this is a process that's going on and validating it. So I get a little bit caught sat on the fence with that, if that makes any sense. It does, even yeah. The word, even the word imposter is quite evoking, isn't it? And I know when I sort of thought about it, it's quite, you know, think, gosh, that's quite a powerful word. Mm. And I guess it's whether you use it and embrace it and you, or whether you get caught up in it and sort of get stopped by the imposter syndrome, isn't it? It's how you view things. When, when I was listening to the podcast, I felt like I was getting myself sort of caught up in a bit of an imposter syndrome loop almost and that I was listening and thought, oh, I, I feel that way sometimes. And then I was like, maybe I don't get it enough to firm it to be imposter syndrome. Maybe I'm <laughs> an imposter with imposter syndrome. I was getting myself all tied up in this um, sort of loop about the severity of imposter syndrome and then when you would call it that. And I think it goes back to what you were saying, Ruth, about, about labels and how is it just sort of human nature to underestimate ourselves and sort of have that self-doubt and whether that is sort of something to label or whether that's just life almost mm. yeah I definitely felt the same when I was listening I started listening to it and I thought oh oh maybe I haven't got it <laughs> <laughs> and then I listened to more and I was like oh no maybe I do have it <laughs> change your mind about the whole thing <laughs> And for me, that's part of the problem of things where it does scales and it gives it a label that it, it almost encourages you to kind of be defined by it. Yeah. And to to like, I've got better imposter syndrome than you. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But I just think there could be that element of. If we are naturally competitive or you're defining yourself in comparison to others, that it continues to do that in that process. I think as well, though, depending on how you look at it, like I kind of looked at it and I came out reasonably high, but then that just made me more determined not to be beaten by it, if you know what I mean. So it made me more determined to overcome it and decide that I will be okay because this isn't going to control me. So I suppose it depends on your mindset when you look at it. Because I think for me, yeah, it was point. probably useful to look at it and actually acknowledge, yeah, all right, then maybe I do have it a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and then I can try and move forward from that and overcome it. Yeah, true. I agree. But I also think as well, I don't know, labelling it, I feel like it kind of makes that the kind of issue. Whereas... It, like it's probably like so many experiences in your life and different things that have happened that have kind of contributed to you feeling this kind of phenomenon so you call it um and so if you kind of think of it as like just imposter syndrome trying to overcome that I feel like maybe you're kind of masking other probably deeper issues maybe that I don't know I don't know it just doesn't feel as kind of whole <laughs> mm. What about uh, when they were talking in the podcast, they said about one of the things that they found useful was the fact that it takes it away from you. So it's not your failure and it's not you that can't do the job. It's actually something that's affecting you and it kind of makes it one step a little bit removed and allows you to deal with it more effectively. 
I think when I first heard about it, I, I think it really was more like the awareness piece of understanding, like, it isn't just me. It's not just that, like, I've been feeling this way and everybody else is perfect and they can do everything and I'm the one that just has to overcome it. And so I think when I first came across it, I was just like, it was like a weight was lifted off that I'm like, all right, there, this thing exists. Now I can either use that as, as a crutch and never do anything, or I can be like, all right, it's there, but I'm going to use that to kind of like catalyst me forward to keep pushing and challenging myself. And I think that aspect of what you do with it is almost more important than how you label it or how you see it. That all of those things that will probably all approach very personally and go, well, for me, it's linked to this, this or this in my life or whatever. But that notion of what you do with it, like as Angie said, is it you embrace it and go, okay, then it's just going to make me more determined to prove it wrong and to stoke my fight and my fire, so to speak, as opposed to feeling like you're drowning under the weight of it and it's all just about you and this is an interpretation of my inability to do something. Yeah, and I, I think you can share that further as well in that if you are managing people at whatever level, be it that you've got an OTA that works for you or you're, you're a manager of your unit or whatever, actually the people who work for you may be feeling that. And if you've got an awareness of it and you can empathize with them in how they're feeling, actually you can help them to overcome it and, and become better at what they do as well. So there's kind of different elements to it. It's not just all personal to yourself. It's very much about team culture, isn't it? I was just thinking I've moved into a new post and actually it's a very safe post and there's a, there's a culture of you don't need to know everything. You can ask for help. You can ask for advice and guidance and the whole team works like that. So actually I've had less of that than I had in my previous role where I've been there an awful long time because you didn't feel you could do that sort of thing in the same way. So I think it is a it is something that you can embrace as a team and provide a culture to use it as an enabling thing as opposed to something that could be just quite disabling and quite quite lonely, I would imagine, if you're feeling this way for long periods. Yeah. I think in a in a team context it comes back to um some of that Brené Brown stuff, doesn't it, about um, when we have the courage to own our vulnerabilities, um, then that's when we make our deep connections. Um, so in terms of working in a team, if we've all got the courage to admit, actually, maybe I'm not 100% all of the time, maybe I'm not this amazing, you know, all singing, all dancing, then that's mm -hmm. how we um, connect better as humans. Yeah, I agree with that. There's a team that I'm in at the moment that we're all quite open and honest if we're finding something difficult and everybody always helps and everybody pulls together and everybody supports everybody else and you all leave at the same time nobody gets left behind finishing their work we move as a pack um we, we all go around you know we all finish at the same time but that whole supportive nature and that again that sense of belonging i think has probably meant that although i do still feel imposter syndrome because it's my first job i probably feel it a lot less than if i hadn't felt supported Mm -hmm. And I think I'm feeling it more so now with lockdown and working from home. So I'm not in the office getting that peer support all the time. And I, I find myself, usually I would, I think I really underestimated the value of 
coming back from community visits and sitting in the office and speaking over my visit with whether it was my other OT colleague, whether it was a CPN or whether it was a support worker, just whoever was there. I think I really underestimated the value of that. And it's something I'm really missing now that we're working from home. Um, so I feel like I'm doubting myself much more because I don't have anyone giving me that reassurance um, from the team. And for me, that's linking me back to like a PEO model in terms of understanding the impact of the environment on us as people. Like that's been something I've done a lot of learning about in my professional life in one way, shape or form is about how much the social context or that organisational culture affects me and how I feel and how that therefore affects how I perform and how that therefore loops itself back and goes round in whatever sort of cycles are going on. Um, but it is about understanding the that impact of the environment on me has been something that I think has not always helped. Yeah, I think they mentioned on the podcast that um, about sort of when you move, move from university life to working life and you've gone all the way through university getting feedback on your grades or you know you'll contribute something in a tutorial or a lecture and the lecturer will go oh yes that's really interesting brilliant to try and get you engaged and everything and then you go to work and all of a sudden it's like tumbleweed and you kind of sit there thinking well I haven't been told off so I'm going to assume I'm doing the right thing <laughs> that's kind of what you get <laughs> And actually in a lot of teams it's worse than that because of the bureaucracy of the hierarchies and the way that's interpreted. The way they do feedback is appalling. You go to your monthly business meeting and you sit there and you all get told which KPIs you haven't met and which things you haven't been doing well enough and that's the feedback. Mm. We were having this conversation today at work at somebody else within the uh, business is moving on to somewhere else to a new position and actually they've been saying about um, how much good feedback they've been getting from the MDT since they found out oh, they're moving on. I'm just sat there going, why don't you say these things at the time? Why do you wait until somebody's leaving to tell them how good they are? Well, I guess that's, that goes back to the culture within the team, isn't it? And those sorts of things and, mm. and the supervision structure and appraisal structure and things. I think we sometimes miss that peer feedback. And if you don't formalise it, yes, we have, we do set, but we don't often say the, the things, do we? And we often say it to somebody else. We don't say it to the individual concerned. When you get feedback, that we've mentioned a few times, that most of the time it is negative. Or I think we do get positive feedback, where we, but we just bat it off and then think, oh, I've had no positive feedback, but we probably have. We probably just ignored it. Um, and also I went to a training thing once. Um, it's actually about setting up your own business, not to do with OT, but I've always remembered what he said. He, he said, like, you've got to celebrate, like, the key to, like, success and happiness is, um, like, celebrating the small, what, what you see as small achievements, because otherwise you will never feel like you're getting anywhere and you'll never feel like you've achieved when really you've probably achieved about 20 times in that day where you feel like you've not got anywhere. Yeah, I think feedback is one of those things that actually we've talked about a lot as to is it the feedback that we get from other people is it the feedback we give to ourselves mm. um that the influence of that in our thinking about self-talk is huge i think that celebrating little successes and um 
the steps along the way is actually really important and something I'm terrible at. It makes me think of someone I worked with who um, he was really struggling um, to motivate himself to do anything. And because he was really high achieving before he got on well, um, you know how, well, maybe you don't, in mental health, we, we're quite big on celebrating the small things and looking at really small achievements. And, you know, you got out of bed today, that's fantastic. And he was really, really struggling with that because for him, and I can really, I can really empathize with this because I'd be the same, be like, yeah, yeah, I got out of bed and, and so we had to add in this little, given that into all those little celebrations. So it was, this is achievement, given that you've been through this whole experience given that you're unwell this is an achievement and it's that sort of looking at it in that broader spectrum of actually you know mm. yes yeah, resetting those benchmarks isn't it which may be the same when you move into a new role you know and that imposter syndrome starts to build again actually just just reset because Yes, you might have been, you know, really comfortable and really good at what you did before, but this is something different. You've got new processes to learn. You've got a new team to get used to. So you do need to reset and, and kind of lower your expectations a bit until you're settled in. Mm. I like given that. It's a good phrase. Yeah. Mm. Like I've said it in one of my lectures recently, I'm actually against the word just before <laughs> you put it in front of anything almost because it, it's a very... Like, I think language is hugely powerful, isn't it? As we came back to, like, the word imposter. I hadn't thought that, but it is a powerful word. But so is the word just. It's, it's, it becomes a very limiting sort of a word, like it's a self-limiting boundary use. Not a great, it's not a great one for an argument, is it? So it really isn't one we should be attaching to ourselves. <laughs> no. No, I am against it. And should. Yes, I, I hate it should's awful <laughs> which in fairness there were certain words on the imposter scale that i was like oh the language in this because there was a should on one of them that i underlined <laughs> <laughs> because because for me it was almost like a scale that was looking at what are your self-limiting beliefs and what are your cognitive thinking patterns about yourself and i've wondered like is imposter syndrome exactly the same as just self-doubt and lack of confidence or is it is it something different that's bigger than that or more than that or what i haven't got an answer i'm happy to hear people's opinions but that's what i kind of questioned when i was first at, like at the beginning of the podcast and i was like what is there a difference between that and like self-esteem and yeah like what and then like, i did kind of get a bit more understanding when you kind of went through the specifics and stuff like that and it made a bit more sense but yeah I agree it's kind of hard to kind of it's hard to put a, put a, <laughs> put a word on it and like everyone's different aren't they and the way like um, I remember at the end and they were talking about like physical symptoms and stuff and like the way that people like present or the way that it presents in people is is so different between each individual I find I find that hard to kind of then have one one kind of name or one label on so many like individual experiences but I don't know there's pros and there's like yeah you could argue about it all day <laughs> I think it can apply to so many different parts of your life um obviously I know they were talking about it from academic and working um but it made me think about when I first became a mum 
and somebody gives you your baby and you're like what what do I do with it you know and you have that real sense of like being an imposter when everyone's treating you in this particular way you're this baby's mum and you you're in your head you're like but I, I don't know what I'm doing you know I don't have to keep this baby alive and, you know I think it can apply to so many different parts of your life it's not just a academic or a work thing that's kind of what I took away from it as well yeah it's that mystery of proper adulting um yeah still, still not there <laughs> yeah yeah I'm a grown-up how did that happen but I think sorry I'm going to pick up on something of that because it made me think of what Sophie said at the start over what we use as success markers I think so much of that is about our perceptions of how we think something ought to be that we judge other people and do those comparisons by how they present and how we think it looks and then we judge ourselves by how we feel which are two completely different markers and then go well why do I feel like they've got it together and I haven't it's true I was also thinking about social media and probably the impact it has on making people feel more imposter in all aspects of their life because you can see a beautiful photograph and they've had a lovely day out and we've had an awful day you know and it's that I think it can make you feel like that through social media as well I have a lot of conversations with our, our mums who relate very much to what you said just now um, about nobody posts pictures of themselves with baby stickle down their front and with the hair undone stuff but we <laughs> think you know we we forget that and we think everybody's got it together and they're all the yummy mummies who are going to yoga and stuff and we forget that actually most people aren't yeah nine to five percent of it is the other stuff yeah and it's yeah five percent of the looking idyllic yeah. and, and that again though is who you're surrounded by who you join up with because although the picture of the baby sick all over your back isn't on facebook the mums that I got friends with, that was going round in the WhatsApp chat. Because yeah. <laughs> everyone was just like, I'm having the most horrendous day. Look what's happened now. And we'd all pitch in with our own well state in my front room or here's today's lunch on the floor that the cat's eating. Or so, so it is, again, it's that sense of belonging and supporting and being able to show your own weaknesses, be it at work or in your home life and just mm. letting people know you are human and, Actually, nobody's got it together, really. We're all just kind of muddling through and hoping for the best. That is true, yeah. It's, so true. It's, it's that showing vulnerability, isn't it? And that goes back to, back to the beginning again, isn't it? As to where people mm -hmm. are at. Yeah, and that the process of doing that is part of what generates those connections and those real connections are part of what help you with making peace with your own set of inner thoughts and then then moving on to growth isn't it I mean so many people have talked about actually embracing it and in using it to their advantage that they've got this imposter syndrome for want of a better word whereas I'm sure there are lots of us out there who get stuck but I think what we've done is talk about the same things from different perspectives we've talked about belonging and we've talked about self-talk and the social culture and about partnership and power imbalances and how all of those things play into what is the internal dialogue going on in our heads it all boils down to ownership doesn't it really and having ownership of what's happening to you and for you and with you 
and I think that's something that's really important isn't it? and that's all down to about leadership it's about how you're encouraged to, to grow and be nurtured and all those sorts of things and we all need nurturing even as band sixes and sevens and everything else we're still <laughs> feeling the imposter syndrome and insecure at times thank you for listening we hope you enjoyed our chat next time we'll be listening to the ot and chill episode attachment styles with lydia guthrie why don't you give it a listen and join us then